There is one true God. Sometimes to the world that sounds arrogant or presumptive. Um, but in actual fact, it, it's not humble to deny something that is true. Okay? That's, that's stupid. It's not humble. <laughs> um, and when we proclaim that there is one true God, we proclaim that there is one true God who loves the whole world, who proclaims anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and who, who is just singing his love over his whole creation, over the entire of humanity, saying, everyone come to me. Can we just put up the verse from 1 Timothy? There's lots of good verses in the Bible, as you probably know. Um, but uh, 1 Timothy 2, um, verse 5, says, There is one God, and there is one mediator between man and God, the man Jesus Christ. I, this is just one of the greatest truths we ever proclaim. There is one God. He's alive. He sent a mediator. He sent someone that all may know him, that we can all come freely into his presence. His name is Jesus Christ. And this is the truth that we declare. And so I just want to talk tonight about God declaring himself to be the one true God. Because when we say it can sound arrogant, it's not arrogant because it's not me that says it, it's him. (laughs) I'm just quoting him. And we're actually going to look um, at some events from the life of Elijah tonight. Um, most people are familiar with Elijah, and some of the stories I'm preaching from tonight are well known, but it's helpful to give some background. So, Elijah was a prophet who lived in Israel during the reign of King Ahab, uh, which is roughly 870 to 850 BC. And by this stage, there are two kingdoms, and there's been the split into the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. Um, which this followed the death of Solomon. Um, And the kingdom of Judah was the southern kingdom, and they had some good kings and some bad kings. And then you had the northern kingdom of Israel, and they only had bad kings. Um, But it also makes it easier to remember. If you're trying to remember the names of the good kings of the northern kingdom, it's very easy, there weren't any. All right? Um, They consistently turned away from the ways of their fathers, away from the ways of David. They served other gods committed idolatry, and actually fact turned away from the God who had brought them out of slavery in Egypt, from the God that they knew was the one true God. And Ahab was one of those. And the Bible says that he not only continued the sinful ways of his ancestors, but he came up with whole new ways of uh, committing sin and introduced those into the culture. Um, idolatry into the mix. Uh, he married Jezebel, widely regarded to be a bad move. Um, and Ahab is described in scripture as thus he did more to provoke the Lord the God of Israel than did all the kings of Israel before him like that's not a good tagline alright like that's like I don't know if you've ever considered what your epitaph may be like what you might you know when, when God calls you home what you might have on your gravestone mine's going to read gone home I'll save you a seat um, but Uh, but anyway so Ahab was described thus did more to provoke the Lord the God of Israel than did all the kings of Israel before him and this is the situation that Elijah comes and prophesies into Elijah is sent to 
the northern kingdom who for, actually, for generations now have turned away from God and now Ahab is like the baddie of all baddies and is actively leading the nation away from God and towards idols and then steps in Elijah and he prophesies into that environment. So 1 Kings 17 verse 1, just this verse to start with, this describes what Elijah prophesies. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So Elijah comes and prophesies a drought, which doesn't necessarily fit with our view of coming and prophesying a blessing on the people, does it? Okay. Imagine that. Imagine standing up and prophesying, no more rain for three years. Now, obviously, context is important both in scripture and also wide world. So if you stood up, if you, if you were in Wales and prophesied no more rain for three years, they'd probably make you a saint. Okay. <laughs> um, so yes, context is important, depends where you bring it. Um, but no, this was an agricultural society in the ancient Near East, dependent on rainfall for crops and for raising cattle. This was kind of the mainstay of their society and their way of life. No rain would be disastrous. Why would God do that? Well, God knows ultimately that turning away from him was causing Israel greater damage than any drought ever would. Okay. They were God's chosen people, yet they had rejected him and started worshipping other gods. Their spiritual state was near to death, and God needed to show them how serious this was. And it's important at this point not to overextend our interpretation of the passage. Okay? This is one clearly defined event, a very specific situation to a specific people. Okay? You can't extend this story to interpret every natural disaster or weather pattern as God's judgment. The Bible doesn't say that. Um, and at times people have put forward doctrines about natural disasters being a judgment on people for sin. In fact, those kind of statements are almost universally unhelpful. Um, the Bible doesn't say this. Scripture doesn't give you permission to do that. We don't presume to do that. But what we do know is actual fact on this occasion, the drought was clearly brought about by God Primarily, I would suggest God's judgment and his wrath is aimed at things that prevent people from experiencing his love. Okay? God loved Israel. God saw the state that they were in and he did something to bring them back to him. Because as I said, Israel at the time was led by King Ahab and Ahab had started to worship false gods, uh, a god called Baal, some some debate as to whether it's called Baal or Baal. I'm probably going to try and stick to Baal, but if I vary between the two over the course of the evening, please don't hold it against me. Um, but anyway, Ahab had started to lead Israel in worship of Baal, a false god. And interestingly, Baal was supposedly the god of fertility and of storms. And in actual fact, one of the titles that, he, that Baal was given was the Lord of Rain and Dew. So, when Elijah steps up and says, there will be neither rain nor dew until the Lord says, this is in direct confrontation of that. And that would not have gone unnoticed. This would have been, this is actually a very specific mechanism where, which I 
God is saying to his people, the God that you are serving is false. He has no power. It is by my decree that you will experience the blessing, that your crops will thrive, and that, in fact, that you you live on this earth. And so, when Elijah is sent to declare that this is a false idol, um, and any power presumed to have been wielded by Baal is just stripped away, God's wrath against Israel worshipping false gods was linked to his love for them and his desire to bring them back to him. Make sense? It is also very much done for his glory. Okay? God is described as a jealous God. And scripture doesn't want his praise and his worship to be given to other, other people. Okay? God is the holy, incomparable God who is worthy of all honor, all praise, all worship, both now and forever. And there is the very important principle here as well, that God is not merely acting for the good of his people, but for the sake of his own glory. And allowing false idols to set themselves up as God is not something that he will tolerate. Because it's completely right that God's primary aim for the universe is to display his glory. And that's very important that we acknowledge that as a priority. It is completely right that his glory is his number one priority. That can sound odd to some people, as it sounds self-seeking. But who else is there better for him to seek? (laughs) Okay. More than just okay, this is the only right course of action. And our number one priority is to give God glory. Because he's the greatest being in existence, we're comfortable with that. And, and we see that in terms of our worship, saying, okay, it's very right that we prioritize God's glory above everything else. Know that God also prioritizes his glory above everything else, because that is completely right. Because in actual fact, it would be against his nature to do otherwise. Okay? There isn't anyone else out there for him to look up to. Oh, and there was light. <laughs> okay? For him to not seek his glory would be ridiculous. It would be dishonest uh, and is actually impossible. Um, So I've always come to the conclusion, I'm not God's focus. He is because he's better than I am. I hope you're comfortable with that as well. Had God not done anything for me at all, he would still be worthy of all honor, all praise and all worship because he is pure, he is glorious, he is God on high. It's very important that we bear that in mind, in fact, when we come to worship. Okay? Our worship is not primarily to be looking at who we are or necessarily what God's done for us, although in actual fact that's a very important part of our worship because God's actions demonstrate who he is. But when we come to worship primarily, we're just coming to say, God, you are glorious. You are worthy of all praise. And everything else flows from there. And in actual fact, in that, okay, that, that, that's not a hardship because he meets us there. Okay? When we lift him up in praise, he comes and he meets us and he shows us his love. We experienced that tonight, didn't we? Okay? We come, we give him honor, we give him praise. Our focus is on him and just him alone and then he just comes into the room and he brings that blessing and he brings a love. I love, you know, you sense that, in fact, even the way that we started our first two songs tonight, 
saying, the king of glory, the lion and the lamb. They're just declaring, that's our way, that's our entry point into the presence of God, is just to come, laying aside anything else that we might need, and say, God, you are God, you are the king of glory, you are the lion and the lamb, you are Alpha and Omega. Good job, band, you nailed it. <laughs> but in actual, And then you can just feel it, can't you? You can feel it starting to flow as God comes, because it says he inhabits the praises of his people. We enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. That's our routine. If you're ever wondering how to get into the presence of God, just start to give him glory. He'll come meet you right there. Okay? And this isn't hard for us because this is what we were created to do. Okay? This is how we were designed. Okay? It works out pretty well for me because this is where I am happiest. I am happiest in his presence. I, I was made for a specific purpose. Okay? It's not like I'm having to give anything up by coming and giving God praise. Okay? He is the one true God. And I am just coming as I was designed, as I was made. As just, and I know, actual fact as well, he's my father. Alright? Best dad. Okay? In his presence is fullness of joy. This is win-win. When we come, we delight in his presence. We lift him up. He lifts up in turn and we experience his love. So, and this is just declared. It's not often I quote the Westminster Short Catechism, but it's a good thing. Shorter catechism. I've often wondered what it's shorter than, because it's pretty long if you've ever read, <laughs> if you've ever read it. Um, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's the opening. A Westminster Shorter Catechism is just a statement of belief. This is the opening line. This is your purpose on the earth. Okay? You were created to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Although I quite like John Piper's take on this, um, if you've ever read Desiring God, where he says... The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Okay? <laughs> because we do. All right? Because, in actual fact, we get to just come and we get to enjoy his presence and in that we get to give him praise. So, God has two purposes in mind. When he was communicating with Israel, he wanted to show that he is the only true God, both for the increase of his glory and to bring people back to his presence where they can experience his goodness. And that's the context into which these events are set. And then I'll briefly read you the main event. If you turn to 1 Kings 18, verse 16 to 46, you would probably go from verse... Go from verse 20, actually. Verse 20 to 46. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am, the I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. 
Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Aren't you glad you're not a servant of Baal? Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes, descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench round it, large enough to hold two seers of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal, don't let anyone get away. They seized them and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look towards the sea, he told his servant, and he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. The seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds and the wind rose. A heavy rain came on and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. It's the Lord that answers with fire. The Lord who is alive. The Lord who makes his presence known. This is the showdown on Mount Carmel. This is the climax of the events that we've talked about so far. There's been no rain for two to three years. This is the final fight. Elijah versus 450 prophets of Baal. This was a Bruce Willis film. You know, picture Elijah as the one-man army. He'd be facing off against the lead baddie, vest torn and bloody, one bullet left, ready to save the day. Uh, Imagine Elijah like that, only probably using a catchphrase less likely to offend a church audience, if you've seen the die-hard films. 
But this is more than just Elijah versus Ahab. This event is made public. All Israel is called to Mount Carmel, and they are to gather to witness Baal versus Yahweh. All Israel is asked to come and see who is the true God. This is the clash that decides who is worthy of worship. This is the heavyweight championship of the world. Rumble in, you can compare. Muhammad Ali had the rumble in the jungle, the thriller in Manila. I tried to come up with some decent alternatives, but not much rhymes with Carmel, which is very, very inconsiderate. Um, the pounding on the mountain was the best I could come up with. Um, but anyway, of course, in fact, we know this wasn't a contest. Uh, we, just, we acknowledge that. We make that clear. All right? God has no equal. It's not like there is any force of darkness that can stand up to him or, uh, or fight him. You know, he says a word and they are gone. But Israel had forgotten this and, and, um, and they needed to be shown. Okay? And Elijah's faith here is just magnificent. He has the courage to face off against 450 prophets of Baal. And he has no concern about the forces of evil, knowing that they're powerless when faced with the living God. But also bear in mind that you know, although the idol, the, the statue of Baal, was just a lump of wood, it's likely that there was some degree of demonic influence or stronghold or power um, that was behind that. Okay? So I, Elijah isn't flippant in saying, well, actually, no, there's nothing here. But he also has complete confidence. I serve the one true God. And in actual fact, there is no power but his. And of course, he is a little bit flippant because he starts mocking them. Um, so, yeah, maybe your God's gone on holiday, or maybe he's asleep. Again, it's important to bear in mind that this is narrative, not necessarily a manual. Okay? <laughs> so, um, this passage is description rather than absolute instruction. We don't know. Elijah may not have been perfect. This may or may not have been the right approach for him to make fun of the prophets there. Um, but regardless, he did. Um, and, you know, seeing as he killed them all later, maybe that was the least of their worries. Um, but we have to remember. Yeah, that's true. Uh, what we remember is that, in fact, we're in the new covenant. Our enemies are not flesh and blood. So you come, up, come across anyone that uh, seems to stand against you, you know, it's human, um, then you are not to mock them or stand against them. In actual fact, you bring the love of God into their lives. But when in actual fact you come up against the strongholds of darkness, of the enemy, you speak with absolute authority because you have the one true God. Okay? When God comes, darkness flees. And that's what Elijah demonstrates. And he goes out of his way to make sure that this can only be God. Um, People can't somehow say he's done a magic trick. He pours water over the sacrifice. You know, this isn't going to be some kind of spontaneous cattle combustion. He has well and truly soaked that thing. Um, it's filled with friends. And then, and then he calls. And I think verse 37, if you just have a look at that. Verse 37, I think, encapsulates what Elijah is trying to show, and I think just shows uh, the whole demonstration in a nutshell. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then fire falls, and the people declare the Lord is God. 
Verse 37, I believe, shows part of the heart of God in every miracle that he performs. Every time that he shows up, every time that he enters the room, he is declaring the Lord is God and that he is drawing people's hearts towards him. Every time God breaks out in power, he is demonstrating his divine nature. He is not a fairy tale. He is not a powerless idol. That he is the living God. He is the ultimate authority. He's the creator of the universe. He is alive. He is powerful. He is real. He is present. Elijah knew that. That That same God is working today. And the same opportunities to us today. People need the same thing. People need to know that the Lord is God and that he is drawing them towards him. That he is turning people's hearts towards the one true God. Okay? If you want to extend the allegory from this story, consider this. Israel was a people who had turned their back on God, who had forgotten who he was, and had subjected themselves to evil rulers. That's humanity. Okay? Without Jesus, all of us had turned our backs on God, and the world is subject to evil rule. I'm not talking about politicians here. You know, uh, Ephesians talks that before Jesus intervened in our lives, all of us were subject to the spirit, the ruler of the air, who works in those who are disobedient. Elijah was sent by God to proclaim the message that there is one true God and that he is turning hearts back to him. That's us. We are sent to proclaim the one true God and that. This is the living God and he is drawing people's hearts towards him. We declare a living and true God worthy of all praise, all worship, who's active in his creation and who intervenes. We bring the supernatural reality of God into people's lives and it demonstrates his love. That they may know that he is God. As I said earlier, the declaration that there is one true God is not restrictive. It's not like we're saying there's one true God and you can't have him. Okay. There's one true God, and he loves you, and he is turning your heart towards him. And the truth is declared in many ways, in kindness, in generosity. We show it in our love for one another. We preach it with our gospel in acts of love towards our neighbors. But it's the signs and the miraculous that authenticate that and that show the one true God. Just as Elijah was able to demonstrate to the people of God, God answered with fire and the people said there is one true God. Paul in Acts, or in his letter says, it's not with wise and persuasive powers that I've come, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. There is something inarguable when we step out in faith and when God steps into the room and there is the miraculous intervention of God and people go, wow, yeah, the Lord is God. And when God, you know, when God heals people, when God provides for people, when God restores people, they know there is one true God and that he is a loving God and that he is drawing them towards him in love. We seek to demonstrate the power of the living God, that this isn't just some theory or self-help that we're peddling. Okay? It's not some pyramid scheme. This is open access to the wonderful law of the universe. And Elijah demonstrates this, and we have the opportunity to demonstrate that. And the challenge is to continue just to step out in faith, seeking that you know that God backs you up. I often wonder how scared Elijah would have been before this, you know, 
I mean, that really is an all-or-nothing moment. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, there's not. Well, I think if there's no fire there, there's not much coming back from that, is there? If we're honest, <laughs> like, you know, the people are going to continue to worship Baal, and Elijah's going to end up dead. All right, that, that, like, that's going to look bad. That is real. That's amazing faith, and. Uh, you might not always be faced with quite the same stakes as you, as you step out. But in actual fact, you're called to make an eternal difference in people's lives. And that's worth stepping out in faith for. Um, and sometimes you see that instantly. Sometimes it, it seems to happen straight away. You step out in faith, boom, fire from heaven. Or in actual fact, you just step into worship. You know, whatever it was that was falling over there tonight. No idea, but God's good. (laughs) Okay? And sometimes it feels instant and tangible and obvious. And it is absolutely indisputable. And, you know, God answers instantly. It's interesting. I want to just look at how Elijah interacted with God regarding the second miracle here. The second miracle was God sending the rain. Because after the fire falls, he tells Ahab, get ready, rains are coming. Bear in mind, it hasn't rained in years. This is a bold claim, equally showing that God, Yahweh, is the true God. Um, That it's he who provides and he who brings the rain. So Elijah, this one comes about differently. Elijah went up to the mountain and he prayed. And he just got down before God on his own, and he sought God for breakthrough and for change. And then he sends his servant up to the top of the mountain. Go look. Servant comes back. There's nothing there. All right. Off you go again. Come back. Still nothing. Go on. Off you go. Third time, servant comes back. Nothing. Elijah, off you go. Go look. If I'm the servant at this point, perhaps I'm going to start thinking, you know, I'm trekking to and from the top of this mountain, like, starting to get tired. Are you sure? Although I think also, if I'm the servant, I've probably just seen what's happened beforehand. Maybe I'm probably not thinking, <laughs> well, th- this Elijah dude, he's got a good track record so far. <laughs> I'll keep going up the mountain. Um, yeah. Six times, there and back, six times, nothing to see, no miracle. Nothing's happening, no sign of anything stirring. And this might look strange, especially in light of what had happened earlier. But the people have seen a dramatic, instant fire fall. Elijah has prayed, prophesied, and instantly fire has fell. And now, Elijah is up a mountain praying and sending his servant up and down. And nothing, nothing is happening. And then the seventh time, he sends it. And he says... See a cloud as small as a man's hand rising from the sea. And that was the sign. Elijah didn't need more than that. He knew that God was moving. It started small, okay? Small cloud, a long way off. But Elijah saw it, and he knew that God was still answering. And he knew. And Elijah was still exercising faith, both in persevering as he was in the instant dramatic fall from heaven. It would have been pretty easy for Elijah to have walked off, I think, after, after the fire fell. You know, I'd be happy with that. Like, that, that's a mic drop moment, isn't it? That's just, you know, end, end of argument. 
I've done it, I'm off, all right, you know, and then you go, right, yeah, it'll probably rain at some point, but, you know, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to walk out on a high, okay, there's been an amazing miracle, let's not go for anything else, because, you know, we don't want to make it look like we can't do it again, right, but no, Elijah goes, and in fact, because he knows what God has said, he's keeping listening, and he's actually keeping engaging, and in actual fact knows that God doesn't always work the same way twice, but it's no less faith, because in actual fact, this very much, this is not Elijah just waiting for what will happen in the natural. God, is, uh, God has withheld rain, and it's only God that's going to send the rain. Elijah is still absolutely seeking God for the miraculous, for what can't be done in his own strength, of trusting him for rain. But in actual fact, his approach to that is not just to call fire come. It's actually to go away in solitude, to get down on his knees and call for the intervention of God and then to keep persevering. Are you willing to partner with God for both? All right. Are you willing to step out to take that risk where there might be times that if God doesn't come through here, I'm going to look stupid? <laughs> or if God doesn't back me up, you know, I, I might lose out. I, you know, if God doesn't support me here financially, I don't know what's going to happen. Right? If God doesn't back up this step of faith that I'm taking, I don't, yeah, <laughs> I don't know how this is going to pan out. Are you willing to help other people to realize the one true God by taking that step of faith and by seeking the miraculous activity of God to demonstrate there is one God one mediator, that's Jesus Christ. There is one God, and he is turning hearts towards you. He is the God who is present, who answers with fire. Are you also willing to persevere? To actually, when it doesn't happen the first time, not to try and fudge it by your own effort, but to keep seeking God for the miraculous to keep seeking what only God can do, to keep taking those steps of faith. In actual fact, to trust. Trust when you have heard God. So Elijah was operating on what he had heard God say. And one was instant and one there was a delay. In actual fact, it happened later. If you're saved here tonight, I'm willing to trust that you've heard the voice of God because it's impossible not to because that's your birthright. Is where you are his children. He speaks to you. What he has promised to you, you can keep seeking. And sometimes it's a question of just keeping looking, keeping looking. And then sometimes, actual fact, not being afraid to say there's something there, it's starting small, but actual fact, I'm going with that. We see this actual fact when we're praying for healing. Sometimes instant, big, completely. Sometimes you pray for someone, how do you feel, oh, I feel about 20% better? Well, that's 20% better that they didn't have. All right? That's the initial action of God. That is the small cloud on the horizon that shows that God is moving. Okay? Look at that. Don't look at the rest of the sky where there are no clouds. Look at the cloud on the horizon that God has sent. Okay? This wasn't a miraculous cloud. It's risen from the sea. So, you know, quite the you know, thermodynamics of that I haven't worked out. But I think that's because... It's miraculous, okay? It wasn't just something that appeared spontaneously. This is something that God did, but it started small. And we get to partner with him, keep seeking. But I think also trust that when God 
sends something initially that's small. What started there, in actual fact, this brought a downpour that all could see and that blessed the entire nation that restored you know, their agriculture, their crops, um, that, you know, that the whole of Israel was then restored both in terms of their awareness of God and in terms of his provision for them. What God sometimes starts small, if you're willing to partner with him in that, that can change a nation. Sometimes we just have to be willing to persevere. I'm just going to read verse 37. I'd encourage us to pray this, pray, you know, in our own time. Whatever you're seeking God for, answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. And that's, that's our heart, that's our mission, that's our privilege. This is fun, guys, alright? Okay? You get to bring the supernatural reality of God into people's lives. That's a good mission. Oh, what a privilege. Okay? Let's just stand. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna pray that verse once more. Stand, please pray it with me. Um, and then, actual fact, I'm just going to, just for a few minutes, um, I don't know what God's going to, going to do, but I want to give him some room. And um, I'm going to pray, if you've got to go, if you've come from a distance, please, please do, okay, we'll, we'll kind of start to wrap things up now. But I'm going to pray, and if you want to just wait around, and we'll just see what God does. And uh, we trust that he's the God that answers with fire. Lord God, you are the one true God. We declare that time and again. You are the one true God. We will sing your praises for all eternity. You are glorious. You are unique. All honor, all praise belongs to you. And yet you have called us. We want to just step out with you, God. We want just greater revelation of you and of your goodness. And we want to be able to just declare to the world, there is one God, a God of love, and he is turning people's hearts to you. So we pray, oh Lord, answer us so that people will know that you are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Just wait, wait on God. I just, I feel that, I think there's anointing here tonight that, that in fact, uh, there are people that you, you, in your life that you are, you are seeking this kind of, this kind of revelation for. Be that family members or friends. <laughs> you, you've prayed this kind of prayer before. That this isn't new to you that you have prayed. Oh God, would you hear me? Would you show them that you are God and that you are drawing their hearts towards you? I just feel that God is declaring breakthrough in those areas tonight. There are people on your people on your hearts. Just reach out. Just pray for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We've had prophetic words recently about revival coming to this part of the country, about a harvest coming in, and 
I just feel that God is wanting to partner with us in that. That people who might be in the same position that Israel was in, that they've been turned away from God or, or just not known who he is for years, and God is wanting to just dramatically declare to them who he is and that he loves them. So, uh, yeah, just ask God for that now. Ask for a fresh impartation of the Holy Spirit, that when you're coming, uh, coming uh, across them in coming weeks, that he is just anointing you to bring the goodness of God into their lives. I also feel, there are some of you that feel that you're in that, that second category, that you are persevering for the miraculous. Um, that you are, you feel like you're just going up and down the hill. <laughs> that you, you know that you've heard from God. And you've actually, you've, I think also, you've seen the miraculous before. You've seen dramatic events before. Uh, but now there's one that you're, you're seeking, but nothing is happening. Not only to know that God is honoring your perseverance and your faith. And he is just encouraging you to keep going. And I just pray for um, yeah, increased perseverance. And I, and I pray for a faith in the miraculous, in that perseverance. But we're not actually just waiting to see that happen in our own strength, that we will see God break through. So, I, th- I mean, that, that's going to be the same for, like, I think all of us are going to be in that situation at some point, but there's, I think there's some, a few people in the room that there's something really specific that's been on your heart that you're really feeling that you are battling for, that you're persevering for at the moment. If that's you, can you raise your hand? Okay. Right, just everyone around, just start praying for, you know, praying for them. Lay, lay your hands on these people um, and let's just ask for, for breakthrough for them. Let's partner with them in their faith. Come, Lord. I also just feel that, that, that God's going to bring, bring breakthrough through your worship as well, that as we come and we lift him up, there was something significant like Sasha was saying there earlier about people almost like they're playing in the water over there. Actual fact is they were lifting it up. There was, there was an increase. In actual fact, as we lift up the name of Jesus, as we take what we've, he's given us, and we just come, we give him praise, there's breakthrough there as well. So just trust in that. Yeah, Father, we just declare we love you. Thank you that you're meeting with us. Come, Lord. You are God, you are good, we love you, we partner with you for the salvation of the world.